Marketing Talk Week on Merge Conflict, six topics, five minutes each. We discuss the most recent Connect event, .NET Core and .NET Standard, Mac development, and a whole lot more. So get ready for Lightning Talks on this week's Merge Conflict. And we are back, Frank. Episode 20. It is Lightning Round 2, baby. Lightning Talks Round 2. These are my favorite episodes. I love Lightning Round We've been anticipating this for like episode 18, now one up, two episodes away. Episode just, 91, just do one more, one more. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. We have some amazing topics and we tweeted out a little bit ago um, four topics from our listeners. And so we got three of the six topics. Um, I'm super excited from our listeners. Yeah. And then we just kind of grab bag the other ones. Let's let's hope we did OK there. We're going to end on some fun notes. And if you're brand new to the Lightning Talks, definitely go listen to Lightning Talks round one, which is episode 11, uh, which was supposed to be episode 10. But yeah. then the, we're the not so good at counting and numbering. They're tricky. Off by one exactly. errors. It's, it's common. That's fine. We're going to try to always make it on the even 10s. You know what I mean? Because they're so much fun. Yeah. And we have honestly this Google Doc with over 100 topics that we want to cover. So we try to condense them down. <laughs> Um, there's so much fun. Yeah, we're being efficient. Yes. Good. So if you're brand new, uh, five minutes per topic. It is hard for Frank and I to um, do that, but we do it's it. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I think I was freaking out a little toward the end of the last one, but I plan to play this one totally cool. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited. You ready to do this? Oh, yeah. Starting right, the timer, go. huh? Setting the timer and go. Uh, so the first topic that I want to cover is an awesome event that I was at this week, actually in New York, and it's actually still kind of going. I guess so. So based on our listeners, at the mid-November, Connect happened. Microsoft does an event uh, every single year. There's Build, and then there's Connect, essentially the big dev at the end of the, of the year event, and. We announced awesome things. I was on stage. That was pretty cool. So from a behind the scenes point of view, it was pretty mind blowing to see the the sausage factory, if you will, like how <laughs> things are packaged and how things are made. Um, it was crazy. There were so many people. It was a beautiful venue in New York. And I w- flew in and flew out. Um, did you watch, Frank? So I have to admit, I had never heard of Connect before, but this year I had a lot of warning because a lot of my friends work at Xamarin and they were all freaking out that (laughs) all these big things were happening at Connect and they were trying to organize. So I made sure I woke up at like 7 a.m., some terrible hour and started to watch all the keynotes. Yep. So I totally caught it. Uh, But you were a part of the Sausage Factory. So I just saw the presentation. It went pretty smooth. How did it feel backstage? Oh, man, it was it was crazy. I mean, yeah, first, I think that the timing was so hard because it starts at 10 a.m. in Eastern, which is great for also Europe because Bismol. the time zone. Oh, difference is- they do it for the Europeans. We need yeah. someone to blame because that's a crazy time. Yeah, it's a crazy time. But then also, yeah, it's like you know Pacific time at 7 a.m. Who gets up? Seattle, definitely. Pacific Northwest does not get up that early. <laughs> we like to sleep. Um, All right. Behind so the scenes, what did they announce? It was smooth. Oh, OK. Yeah. Smooth. Yeah, you asked me. It, smooth. It was smooth. I mean, okay. it was chaotic and, and crazy yeah, and stressful, but it, the day of everything <laughs> Your worked. Your demo went right, right? Nothing crashed. Um, well, the very first demo, Chris Diaz did some VS Code stuff, and it, his was all based yeah. on GitHub, and GitHub went down five minutes before his talk. Okay, I, I, I was paying attention, I promise. <laughs> oh, that's and terrible. GitHub came back up. <laughs> oh, Right as like he went does. to go Good. clone it. Yeah, oh, so that was cool. <laughs> um, 
during during it also nougat went down and also some azure regions went down so a lot of things happened but everything was still smooth yeah uh anything happened to hanselman he was up there for a while right no his all went fine yeah he he's a pro <laughs> crushed it um we announced new things so i think from 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 our point of view from mobile developer point of view there's new visual studio 2017 um for Xamarin, a lot of GA features that you may have already been using, Inspector, Profiler, Workbooks. Um, and Xamarin a crazy Forms. thing, they renamed Xamarin Studio as Visual Studio for Mac. So that's well, pretty cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we renamed mm. it. I would say that it's a new oh. product currently. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, you would say that. Yeah, so, I said they renamed it. <laughs> yes. So, well, so there, there's two bits of it. And I recommend everyone go and watch the um, Nat and Miguel um, after after session on on connect we'll put in the show notes um essentially what happened is vs for mac is a new product it takes everything from xamarin studio does a lot of rebranding but also brings in a lot of vs elements and is now actually adding support for dotnet core and asp.net core development which is kind of that web yeah i caught that that is pretty cool yeah i'm excited by that i finally got my first asp.net core website up so it would be nice to have some ide support for it aside from vs code yeah, it's very, very early and it's in preview. So that's that's the thing to remember. It's in preview. Um, so like, check it out. Give us feedback. Give the team feedback. Um, I'm still using Xamarin Studio for now until that thing goes GA. Um, but it's really exciting because I think bringing it together, what I'm excited about is we're taking the actual code editor, like the actual code text editor from Visual Studio PC and putting it onto a Mac. So no more oh, weird that's, crazy. I heard that. That that's is actually cute. pretty crazy. The text editor in Xamarin Studio, you can all see this because MonoDevelop, which it's based on, is open source, is this uh, huge chunk of code, and it's pretty fantastic, but it's always been a little bit limited because they were uh, stuck with one rendering engine, and they were explaining that the Visual Studio editor, in fact, is this really kind of elegant piece of code in that it's abstracted from the operating system very nicely. So I'm excited to see that and how they integrate it. Yes, that'll be cool. The last thing so we got 30 seconds. it's not open source. Okay, 30 seconds. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, it's not open source. We got to do a whole episode on it. Well, Mobile <laughs> yeah, yeah. Center. Mobile Center. Um, ah, yeah. VS Mobile Center, which is for any app, even in Objective-C and Java and Xamarin, is is CI, CD, analytics, backend stuff. Uh, it's in preview. Kind of pretty cool. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, but I don't know much about it. I'll keep my eyes open. I demoed it. Go watch the keynote. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah, go, I, I demoed the James. whole thing, Frank. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Okay, though. well... I think I'm doing the next topic. It's been five minutes. And the next topic, we had a question about Mac programming specifically with Xamarin. So that is, you're a .NET programmer and you want to write Mac apps. And it was kind of a general question, but I'll take it as, A, can you do this? And I'll reply, yes, you can. And it's awesome. I've been doing it forever and the Mac app store is pretty good. James, the, do you have any opinion the, on that? <laughs> the question is, I guess, like I never looked at Mac development, so I, I, I can understand the code sharing story because I just mm-hmm. put it in a, a shared library or a .NET standard library, and I have access to all .NET 4.5 because I know the the desktop yeah. profile for Xamarin Mac is extremely similar to the profile for just a .NET application. But That's the right. question I have is, it always seemed to me like the paradigms for desktop development, even WinForms and WPF and then Xamarin Mac are like so different from mobile because mm. it's desktop. Is it? Is it I, similar? Yeah. Is it I, I mean, I, <clears throat> I have to agree because there are definitely two separate human interface guidelines. Apple totally recommends different scenarios for presenting different 
data types on the two platforms. But at the same time, I think it's 2016 and we've seen a real merger of UIs, you know, web apps, big tablet apps, mobile phone apps. We all have this kind of flat style and (laughs) we all kind of have these expected interaction models of pushing forward and navigating back in stacks. So I, I think while, yeah, there's definitely a difference between desktop programming and mobile programming, I think you can easily apply your skills to the desktop. How and is, how, I should say, how, yeah. okay, go ahead. Well, I was just kind of curious, like with that, right, applying that concept, like how does it um, handle like image resizing and density <laughs> and high DPIs and these retina screens? Do we have well, to handle it or does it handle it? No, fortunately, it works just the same way as iOS handles it. Uh, Apple's been really good about unifying their platforms. And so they've really kept all, all those tricky bits work the same way. You still have... Um, Oh, what are they? <laughs> um, zip files, your interface builder files to do UI. It's just a different toolkit set of things. Images, you still encode those at two or three different resolutions and they get picked up exactly as you would expect. So all your skills as an iOS developer completely translate to Mac. And then when it comes to Mac, like I'm currently actually, as we speak, installing Mac OS Sierra, like what since you've been doing Mac development for a while, how far back should I plan to support? Should If I start today oh. on a new product, yeah. Do Sierra or do I should do El Capitan or Mountain Lion or Snow Leopard or I, I I'm pretty te- yeah you you went all the way back to Snow Leopard and actually that's the one I I wish I could support the fact is though even if you download the newest X codes they just don't support Snow Leopard you just can't build for it so you can't go too far back I think in Mac you really do try to go as far back as you absolutely can because there are always people for whatever reasons don't want to upgrade their operating system and but everything works fine. Uh, again, your same skills as an iOS developer dealing with version changes, they all apply. You can just ask the operating system, what version are you? All the APIs are documented, what versions they support. So you can work around all that. Yeah, it seems like Mac development also might be a little bit more intriguing because it, it's not it's it's revving new versions, but actually not moving as fast as iOS and Android. <laughs> like to me, if it's I'm, definitely I, I'm, a stable platform and you know how you use it because we use Macs every day. You know how an app should look. You know how it should behave. In a lot of ways, Mac apps are more conservative. You just know how it should look and work, whereas mobile you, is more Wild West. I like that. I'm still a little bit scared. Like I, I really want to put some of my applications on it. Same with Windows desktop. Like if I look at my Meetup Manager application, it's a great app that I think mm-hmm. should be on every platform. And mm-hmm. as cross-platform goes, I mean, uh, I think it's it's pretty fantastic. Um, to me, I'm just like, oh man, I got to write yet another user interface. <laughs> so um, to me, I'm actually looking forward to the Xamarin Form support that is coming at some point. <laughs> it's it's already open source. It's Miguel tweeted about it. He talked about it a little bit. You can grab the source code and, and create your own nuggets, but I'm not going to ever do that. I'm going to wait for the official support and then just create everything in Xamarin Forms. How do you feel about that, Frank? Yeah, actually, I think it's just fine. I, I'm thinking you'll actually just compose your app out of uh, multiple Xamarin Form pages. So break your big app mm-hmm. into multiple little things that you navigate through or actually include multiples on the screen. Actually, I'm excited about it, too, because honestly, the more code you can share, the better. Yeah, it so simplifies my life, yeah. And like on the it. last few seconds, I'll just mention there's a good reason to uh, <laughs> sell apps for Mac. You can charge a little bit more for them. Desktop apps um, are usually a little bit bigger, and you can usually charge a bigger price for them. And that's always good for stability, <laughs> actually being Got able it. to sustain. You want to make some money. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and actually talking about code sharing between multiple platforms, we had another uh, submitted topic, um, which was essentially sharing code. We had a whole episode on sharing code uh, already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done, geez, well, Xamarin a few show things have changed since then. Yeah. Do you yeah. think? I mean, oh, so I'm excited the- because of .NET standard, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think we are finally unifying all the different .NET platforms out there. In the past, we've had Mono, Windows, little .NETs, big .NETs, .NETs everywhere, and they all supported different API sets. And we tried PCLs to solve the problem of sharing code between them, but it was a little annoying. Um, because it seemed like you couldn't really share anything. There were so many limitations. But now, a new standard yeah. for sharing code. I'm excited. Yeah, I think so. I mean, PCLs were, yeah, PCLs were always like cool um, that they let you share. Like, it's a, it's a class library that is not restricted to a single platform. It's a class library that can go to multiple platforms, but it would limit stuff. And Frank and I remember we did a circle charts and graphs one time in a coffee shop of <laughs> API coverage. And it was kind of sad eventually when you select every checkbox yeah. and there's like no APIs. And those graphs um, didn't cover another standard- thing. A lot of, a lot of my favorite APIs uh, just weren't represented in it. Like system IO file is the one I always like to bug you with. It's something that they removed, but uh, finally we got back with .NET standard. Yeah, I think that, um, I think for, for me, essentially, as soon as .NET Standard 2.0 comes out, which is extremely soon, uh, I'm just going to only use that ever. And I think that that's all that I will tell people to yeah. use because PCLs become too confusing. Shared projects become too, too confusing to some extent. Just here it is. I'll probably Go. still cheat with shared projects from time to time. How can you not? But yeah, I just can't wait for .NET Standard to actually be out or 2.0, you know, the, the one that we're all going to commit to and actually support everywhere. I just can't wait for that thing to be officially out. Yeah, it's it's soon. It's definitely soon. And I think essentially we could do a whole episode on .NET Standard 2.0 and creating. They added they added support in Xamarin Studio, um, the alpha maybe? Alpha? It's in Visual Studio for Mac. Yeah, one I of think them. it's alpha. They call it Cycle 9. I think everyone's calling it. <laughs> cycle 9. Cycle 9, yeah. <laughs> cycle 9. Alpha. Cycle 9. And um, what they I, had that's what some, I'm running uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I stick to stable, so I haven't been exposed to it yet, but I'm, um, yeah, I'm waiting for it to trickle down. Yeah. So the, the, the real question, the question was .NET standard versus PCL. So today I say PCL or shared projects. And then I say, as soon as 2.0 comes out, switch to .NET standard. I only yeah. say that because the current tooling is just not ready. No, unfortunately, and it's a little bit frustrating, um, honestly speaking, when you have a Xamarin app and you reference .NET standard, you end up getting a lot of extra files, and it just seems like things are uh, half working at this point. So it'll be nice when everything's standardized. Yeah, what I'm doing is, as soon as .NET standard 2.0 comes out, I am re-releasing all of my plugins as a .NET standard 2.0 and dropping support for everything besides ios <laughs> you're just Android. dropping it i love it i love it yeah we we gotta I'm, move on i think it's a good idea i hope all library authors do it yeah it's time it's time to move forward it's time to move past old platforms and um it's like i can't i it's, i just have no, i don't have enough time to support windows phone 8 silverlight 
where the market share is literally <laughs> nothing. So I don't understand, you know, what you want me to no. do. Yeah, um, for sure. I, Especially and, in the modern world, UWP uh, will run .NET standard. I'm pretty sure Microsoft is committed to that. So it really is standard across the board, run on all the platforms. How can you not embrace that? I think we as a community just have to step up and update all our libraries. Yeah, I think so. I agree. I wow, agree. we're just in um, such agreement. We'd even need five minutes for this one. So go.net standard. <laughs> yeah, next topic. Do it. So our next topic is mobile market share. And I'm saying this very formally because I had to really process these words in my head. And what it comes down to, James and I discussed, is deciding, uh, is it worth supporting an app? And it really just comes down to a question of, are you making money supporting an app or are you getting what you want out of supporting an app? Did I say that well, James? Yeah, I think so. Um, for me, I have two. It's like when I want to go to a new platform, which platforms do I invest in? And then mm -hmm. additionally, there's two things is if I have an app already on the market, when do I drop support for older versions of the operating system or when do I actually yeah. stop supporting that operating system? So those are two things. Sure. Yeah. So um, in general, I'll just give my opinion. I tend to just stay on the oldest operating system I possibly can without causing me massive, massive problems. So I think I was just saying how I would love to support Snow Leopard to this day, but you just can't sometimes. So when your tooling gives up, maybe that's the time that you can give up on the older platforms. But yeah. in general, I, I try to go all the way back. I go Wait. iOS, I go oh, the Oh, that's not even version. true either. Sorry. Yeah, for iOS, I go current version plus one. So I support mm. iOS nine and above currently. And then yeah. for Android, what I do is I go to the, I always Google, I go to Android dashboard. And when you Google Android dashboard, that goes to the developer portal. And today we can see that 90% of people are on KitKat or better. Um, and if you drop KitKat, then you lose 25% of the market. So Ouch. I will support API 19 up, which is going to give me 90%. 19? Is that what you said? 19. API 19. Yeah. All right. That's pretty far back. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty far back. And 90% of the market is pretty good. So I'm pretty happy. Mm -hmm. um, but again, if, if I'm creating that's an all application. You can count on. Yeah, but if you're creating an application where it becomes so much of a bother, where you're putting in so much time investment, and then at the same time you have analytics to say, even the Google portal will tell you what percentage of your users are using KitKat. So if you look in the Google mm. portal and literally 99% of your users are on a newer version, well, drop the older versions because yeah. who cares? <laughs> you know, your, your app yeah, is clearly it, targeted, true. you know, yeah. So where I have the instinct of always having the oldest app, uh, oldest operating system support on there, it's, it is kind of liberating sometimes, if you're, especially if you're starting a new app, to just even pick the current version. You can get away with this on iOS. I guess just given the numbers you told us, it's not really something you do on Android. But on iOS, at least, you can do a current version release app, which is often quite smart if Apple releases some new APIs that do something interesting and you build an app around those you know, more power to you be first to market with it. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about when you want to go between the different actual operating systems out there? How do you mm. devise mm. that? I guess. 
I guess just because I'm an independent developer who has to pay rent, <laughs> I basically <laughs> go by how much money am I making on each platform, given the amount of effort. Like if the app is in a certain state of quality, then I know uh, how it should be performing between the different platforms. And it's usually pretty obvious. Um, some apps are really good on some platforms and they're better on other platforms. So you can see I might make a lot of money on iOS and nothing on Android, or maybe I make a lot on Android, a little on iOS and just let the money dictate. Yeah. It to me becomes, you know, it, to me, it's not about the market share always, because if I have some really unique use case for Mac, or I have some really unique mm -hmm. use case for windows phone, I'm like, man, there's nothing like right. this on the windows phone marketplace and I can easily target it. Um, with Windows 10 and then be everywhere. Maybe I'll do that because even though it's really small percentage of the U.S. market, there's still a lot of people. Um, I always go Android first because it's 86 percent of the world and 55 percent of the United States, um, which is good. And I always do iOS second. That's like how I look at it. But to yeah. me, it's like if I create a cross platform app and they're already in the market, the market share doesn't necessarily dictate when I drop that platform. It's is it still working fine like do i have to put no maintenance into it well i'm not going to drop <laughs> that's it that's fine it yeah sure yeah, yeah it generates me 20 bucks a month well that's 20 more bucks a month that i had than last month you know i've had a so windows phone app out yeah. there since 2012 yeah it yeah. makes me whatever yep <laughs> yeah once Bar i have money. to put more yeah once i have to put more effort into it than return then that, that's probably yeah. when i would cut it yeah, it's pretty much that simple. Don't overthink it. Um, don't waste your time supporting something that you make $10 a month on. It's <laughs> You make better use of your time. Exactly. So we're four in, but I do want to take a short little break um, here to actually thank one of our amazing, awesome, awesome, awesome sponsors, friend of the show, um, BitRise. Have you heard of BitRise, Frank? Not only have I heard of BitRise, but this week, I finally got all of my projects to green builds. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah, if people don't know, essentially BitRise, bitrise.io, is essentially everything that you need uh, for continuous integration and continuous delivery, plus a bunch of other crazy awesome stuff for any of your mobile apps written in any language with iOS, Android, or Xamarin. So Objective-C, Java, C-sharp, F-sharp, who cares? They'll build it. Yep, I especially like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm overstepping you because I have to say they have great Mac support. That's one reason that I absolutely love using BitRise. That's very cool. Yeah, I like that. It's like it's literally any of your applications, you can get up and running to automate your apps. It, it literally takes a few minutes to, to get up and running. You point it at your GitHub, your Bitbucket, your Git repo, it doesn't matter. And it just starts building stuff. Um, and usually to me, like that's a really cool first sign like hey at least like it's doing stuff to my repo and things are happening but <laughs> yeah. but i'm sure you're just like me frank where essentially what bitrise what i love about it is this thing called they call workflows um and there's hundreds of integrations i used to say dozens but i say hundreds of integrations into awesome mm -hmm. services and you chain them together right so you build it then you maybe sign it then maybe you like you know you download nougat you download components you build it you bump version numbers you send it to, to to test cloud you send it to whatever you get a slack you get an email you get all this stuff right and you just chain it together and you can you can kick off workflows based on different conditions like when a feature branch or a bug fix was there so you can you can do different 
um, workflows. Are you using some of these workflows at all? Yeah, and in fact, uh, I, I'm trying to up my game on the workflows because I recently discovered you can have multiple workflows for a single project. Oh, yeah. yeah, with different triggers and things like that. So I'm actually having a lot of fun with them. It's basically just a big data flow graph. So each workflow takes a few inputs, creates uh, some files, and it can create outputs, and you can chain that data to other ones. And it all gets output to this funny little YAML file. So it's super easy to use. Yeah, and you know what I like is um, I set up on one of my builds that it turns on uh, the Philips Hughes lights that I had previously. This is what I did this a You've while ago, it. and whenever oh, I've done developer it, developer utopia, fantastic. Yeah, so whenever a build kicks off, it blinks like yellow, and if it fails, it stays red, and then it goes green from when it's green. Um, uh, you, you win can this round, James. I'll catch up. You can do anything, and you can even just do a um, a bash script too. You can just put a bash script in there, and you're done. You're off to the races. Um, uh, we worked with the BitRise team to not only help support this amazing show. Um, we would love if you would go check out BitRise. You can create a free account. I've been using the free account for a long time, and then I upgraded to the paid account, which I have their pro plan. If you go to bitrise.io slash merge conflict, you'll find everything you need to know about BitRise. And you can also help support the show by not only visiting that URL to learn about BitRise, but use the coupon code resolve-conflict. Resolve-conflict. You'll find on that website, bitrise.io slash merge conflict. We cannot thank BitRise enough. We love them very much. And let's move on. I'm ready. Awesome. What, what is, thank what you, What's our next topic? Oh, where did the spreadsheet go? Oh, I think you're supposed to introduce it. Get on your game. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, so this is actually near and dear to my heart. Um, I thought about what would be a cool topic um, for us this week. And a lot of people uh, um, maybe are new to this topic, but not only just using GitHub or using Bitbucket, but new to Git. And I was curious, yeah. actually, Frank, how you learned Git. Uh, kicking and screaming is how I learned it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was uh, I, I tried subversion at first, to, just in case we have a really broad audience. Git is a version control. It's a way to uh, keep versions on all your documents, and we use it for source code control. And we all love GitHub, and we all come together. But the problem with Git is it's notoriously difficult to learn. Its user interface is a million parameters to a million little commands that are hard to learn. So I learned it by first learning other version controls and then figuring out how each of those translated into Git. It was a painful process. I still make mistakes today and I still limit myself to like six different commands that I trust myself with. Yeah. Well, there's the core commands, right? There's yeah. um, clone. There's oh, useful. Yep. Uh, your clone is very useful. <laughs> there's add. So adding files, which is essentially adding files to a commit, which is another important command, which is committing code. And then mm -hmm. also, um, we got to uh, check your status constantly. Get status, get status. Every two yeah. seconds, you got to type get status. St I call it status. <laughs> Status. Okay, great. Status. Um, yeah, status, uh, push, pull. And then when you get really advanced, you learn how to create branches and checking out and creating variations of your software. And I think I'm finally in the zone where I'm pretty comfortable with branches. But coming from an older background of subversion and things, we never created branches. It just wasn't cool. It was very difficult. But in Git, mm -hmm. they recommend that you constantly create branches. So it's been something to get used to. Yeah. And, and as you kind of start going, I learned early on, I was a, a, a visual studio team service person or not even oh, visual studio team service, but TFS person. I mean, when I worked was at that Canon, your first one, 
TF TFS was my very first sort. Well, we wow. used something really crazy at crunch time games when I worked on video games. I have no idea what it was. It was terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I used TFS, which is my first one. And I got out of TFS and I couldn't have been more thankful because I don't know, just always, it was like reverse <laughs> thinking when I learned yeah, Git. Yeah, when I learned Git, the difference was that TFS was very, very, very UI heavy and Git is not. So I would do like Tortoise and I would install all these like, you know, right. you know, GUI tools. And then I found Tower on a Mac and that was great. Now Tower is also available on the PC, which is like mm -hmm. the best Git client, but it's like you got to pay for it. There's a um, GitHub client out there also. GitHub puts a lot of effort into desktop apps. And that's what I use, but it that's what I use almost all the time because I'm just in my solo me working. When you work in a team, it's really important to know those controls um, and the commands. So GitHub is good, but it's hiding a lot from you. So yeah, I like when I learned level. it. Yeah, when I learned it, I went on the like you can learn Git flow kind of and you can kind of learn just like I want to create a branch. I want to merge this branch and I want to go into origin. I want to do this stuff. Do it by command yep. line a few times. So when you have to, then you can go do it. Yeah, and I recommend Git is so lightweight, just go into an empty directory and just start creating text files and just start messing around with the text files and get used to how Git treats it. See what happens when you delete a file without telling Git. See what happens when you delete whole folders when you don't tell Git. Just see all its error conditions. And so in some ways, it's super easy to learn because you can just play, but it honestly requires that kind of practice to keep yeah. playing. Yeah. And, and don't feel feel bad to Google things like I, I just Google things all the time. Oh my God, I, I Google it every day. <laughs> I yeah. still can't do a lot of operations without double checking. Yeah, exactly. And, and and just remember that you my biggest thing was that whenever you do commits and you do everything, as long as you haven't pushed that anywhere, all that stuff is oh, just yeah. on your computer. So you can always undo anything. You know? <laughs> or you can just delete that directory and reclone. <laughs> exactly. The commit is much different than a push uh, or a sync or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just literally you're committing things all locally and changes are all locally. And don't don't feel like you're going to break anything. It, it's OK. So start messing around and kind of have fun with it. And Google stuff, because the commands don't change, really. They're all the same and get get is kind of standard which i like yeah they have these versions but nothing ever seems to change it's quite great i think it's all under the hood stuff yeah stuff you best yeah. not know yeah the only thing that we need a whole episode on is visualization of trees and branches and things like that but we were out oh of time God. for this network graphs <laughs> we're out of time because we get to do one last topic which i got to pick to james's poor 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 size he should have heard him he really sighed when i told him i want to do this i want to talk about drones for a minute specifically the little toys that you can buy and fly in the air and annoy everyone but it gives you great glee because you can take beautiful pictures from high altitude now, James, why did you sigh when I introduced this topic? I mean, I love drones whenever I see your drone footage or I see any cool drone footage. Um, we had like some cool mini tiny little drones. I mean, there's like little hover little airplane things. I mean, I used to have little choppers. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd create these little choppers and you go out and like your little chopper and you would crash. And you're like, oh, I just wasted <laughs> $100. Choppers, okay. So now everything has cameras and they have quad choppers yes. and you got these drones. And I mean, to me, when drones. I think of drones... I don't think of the quad choppers thingy crazy things that are doing video recorders. I'm thinking Amazon technology that will drop stuff oh. off in my door, in my, at my door on the roof, drone technology. That's what I want. Make it happen, Frank. 
Oh, okay. So your sigh was more like, well, I'm just waiting for the future to happen. You're like, I've, I, I, I'm near the Amazon. I want this to happen. Well, I feel uh, like it took, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, it took years for Disney who just got permission to fly drones over their own property. So, yeah, I guess everyone's afraid of them falling from the sky and hitting you on the head. I don't know. It can't hurt that much. How bad the, could it the be? Footage, the footage, the, the GoPro footage on those puppies. Oh my God, are so, yeah. so beautiful. It's so I, I, I'm actually bad because I wanted to talk about this topic. We usually introduce episodes with you buying something, but I finally bought something <laughs> and I'm super excited. I got the DJI Mavic and it's this little foldable drone in that it gets really compact size. So it's a little transforming drone and you can take it everywhere. It's a very nice design. I build drones from time to time, so I really appreciate when a good manufacturer and a good designer and good engineers actually come together and make something nice. And so I'm just in love with this little guy and just wanted to scream out to the world, I have a cute little drone. <laughs> we'll put we'll put it in the show notes. I'll have Frank <laughs> send me the, the, the URL where you picked it up. I think that to me, I don't have room to put stuff anywhere. And I tried to buy a drone for my nieces and nephews last year. And I don't think mm -hmm. that they could get it working or something. And they're in the middle oh. of nowhere. So it would have been perfect. So I love those I little, know. you can go on Amazon and find these little $15, $20 indoor drones. I, I kind of hate using that word now, but, um, and they're great. You can learn to fly on them. You can learn everything. They're super frustrating in the beginning. You're going to crash all the time. You're going to get into people's hair. It's going to break dishes and all the old people will be very angry with you. But at the same time, it's a really great skill to learn. And the skill you learn on these little cheap things completely 100% translates to flying real big ones in the real world. That's cool. What's always frustrated me whenever I had drones is that they always wanted to have like Bluetooth mobile applications <laughs> that control them and they're terrible because they're lagging, you know? Yeah. Don't don't know. don't go that route. No. Get the get the simple ones with the normal radio controllers, you know, the ones you would find in a toy shop and learn on yeah. those. Keep it nice and cheap and simple. Cause the truth is none of that Wi-Fi or Bluetooth stuff works well unless you pay a lot of money for your drone. And you don't want to pay a lot of money for your first one. You just want to yeah. start simple. Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, well, it makes it a great Thanksgiving with the family if you're flying around drones. <laughs> Landing in the gravy, ones. knocking over wine glasses. It'll be hilarious. Oh my goodness. I'm uh, totally bringing mine. <laughs> I love it. But I'm a I safe flyer. It. It's okay. I'm a professional. Yeah. Pro, mm -hmm. pro moves. Pro moves from Frank Krueger. Um, I should also say, I, oh, I was just going to read. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Well, I was just going to end with saying that I've done a little bit of programming with these drones. And if you're a programmer out there and you want to get into it, there are open source autopilots that you can look at. And the source code is very interesting to read. It's usually very big, contains a lot of mathematics, and it's complicated. But if you read it long enough, you'll get your head around it and understand how these little advanced little robots actually work. So it's a great example to learn from. Yeah. And you made like, a, didn't you make a, like a little website or something if you wanted to build a drone or something like that a while ago? Yeah, I, I built a little parts picker because I like to do the little hobbyist drones where you uh, pick out individual pieces and then you have to do all the soldering and all the work to put everything together and cross your fingers and pray it flies and doesn't fall out of the sky or anything like that. And you can go to it. It's um, called dronebuilder.mecha.parts. That's actually a URL. Nice. Well, we'll also link that. And with that, we totally accomplished six. My that is right. God. Six topics, five minutes each. We did Woo! it. In 30 minutes.
Ah, congratulations, James. 30 minutes plus some sponsors. Well done. That was great. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I love these episodes. I love them. (laughs) Well, we hope everyone else loved them too, because, well, you'll have to, you'll have to endure, endure 10 more topics from us. Nine more topics. I can't count. Off by one errors everywhere. Oh my God. Yes. Until the next time we do this. Well, let us know. Let us know. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter. We'll also, usually a few weeks beforehand, we will tweet out what you want to hear for round three. Um, Let us know. Leave us some feedback, some reviews on the iTunes. We like that. If you're using Overcast, make sure you recommend this uh, podcast to all your friends. And with that, until next time, I am James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thank you for listening. 